You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1168 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And this is another positive episode for the Atlanta Hawks as they've now won six games in a row as they held serve on this Friday night, beating the Boston Celtics by a final score of 108-92. to Their sixth straight win, that's obviously a positive thing. We've had a full week of shows, and also thank you for making this podcast your first listen each and every day. We had Andrew Kelly on earlier this week on the podcast, a two-part episode that's still very relevant at this point in time, as well as all the game breakdowns and much more. So please subscribe, please tell your friends, and we'll dive into the game now. As I said before, six straight, six straight wins for the Hawks, uh, going from 17-25 to 23-25. All of the work is not done. They have much more to do, as we'll get into later on, to sort of uh, overcome that slow start. But a lot of it has been happening so far. Basically, they've played better defense in this stretch. They've been healthier, of course. That helps, and uh, the results have followed, and lots of positive stuff in this game in particular. They had a great defensive start to build a double-digit lead in the first half. It wasn't great all the way through. They had a couple of swoons in the second quarter. They had one where the lead got down to five. And in the third quarter, uh, things did not go well for Atlanta for the most part. Um, in fact, for most of the second half, it was not fantastic. And the Hawks' lead got down to one for about a two-minute stretch in the fourth quarter where Boston had multiple chances to take, to take the lead. They never were able to do so. And then from there, it was an immediate 18-2 run by the Hawks to close this game out. By the time the run ended... Boston had pulled the plug, emptied the bench, and the game was over. So we'll get into all the details, but obviously a 48-minute performance for the Hawks. It wasn't always perfect all the way through, but they played well, and uh, the results showed that. So we'll dive into this one now a little bit more in terms of context. Um, Boston and Atlanta played four times this season. This, this is actually number two of four. The Hawks won the previous matchup this season, and they actually played three times in about four weeks if you start tonight, including the ABC game, actually. The only ABC game of the season for the Hawks is actually Super Bowl Sunday afternoon in Boston, so that's coming up in about two weeks from now. But both teams are on normal rest in this game. Uh, there was some weird injury stuff for the Hawks. Uh, in fact, the Hawks got to announce, and I'm sure they were probably thrilled about this, on Thursday evening, a completely injury-free injury report, um, which is a rarity. Have, has not happened in at least two years that I can track but the Hawks actually added guys to the injury report on Friday. Now, they ended up playing, but DeAndre Hunter and Danilo Gallinari were both questionable. Uh, Gallo with a right eye issue of some kind. He woke, up, he woke up sort of with a weird eye thing on Friday. And then Hunter was on the injury report as questionable with it, with the low back discomfort that was caused by the Kelly Oubre flagrant foul dirty play that happened earlier this week. He was questionable on Wednesday as well. But those, those guys ended up playing and playing well. Boston was at full strength in this game. And the Hawks were small favorites. They opened up as two-point favorites. According to Ben Online, our sponsors on the podcast, it went down to Hawks by one when Gallo and Hunter were listed as questionable and then back up to Hawks by two. So basically, what that implies is that the Celtics and Hawks are pretty similar teams and then the Hawks have home court advantage. Clearly, the Hawks were the better team in this game and they were able to hold serve, but that gives you some context on what people kind of expected coming into the night. At the outset, it was really all about the defensive effort and activity and what I would say havoc creation from the Hawks' defense throughout this game. That definitely manifested early on. Boston was slow to make shots. The Hawks had three blocks in the first four minutes, and they actually set a new season high in blocks in this game. They were flying around. The Hawks only averaged 4.4 blocks per game. They're in the bottom 10 of the league. And they um, actually, the season high was nine. They kind of beat all those numbers in this game. But it was pretty close early on. The Hawks' offense was not flying high 
in the early going. They actually started 6 of 17 from the floor and 1 of 6 from 3. Missed some opportunities to kind of blow the game open early. Um, a technical foul was called on Trey Young, who was frustrated and was not, I would say he was not fantastic in this game throughout. He had some nice moments in the fourth quarter, as a lot of guys did, but it was not a not an A-plus game from Trey Young, but they kind of overcame that with their defense throughout this one. Uh, rotationally, it was pretty similar to what it's been the last couple of games now that everybody is back and healthy. It was Collins for a brief moment at backup center before they went through the, rota- uh, the rotation with Akalu coming in from there. Uh, Bogdanovich came in as the first wing off the bench, played a lot of minutes in this game, ended up closing actually, then DeLon Wright for a few minutes. And then Lou Williams and Anika Kongu were kind of paired together in that bench role. They had a nice little flurry in the first quarter where they pulled up through by Kevin Herter, who was good in this game. And Boston was really scuffling offensively, which kind of continued throughout the entire game, honestly. They gave it a dunk up out of a timeout. And uh, just for the record, Boston, while their offense is not good this year in pretty much any way, they are excellent. In fact, they're number one in the league out of timeouts, so they got burned a few times, the Hawks did. Um, and anytime there was a stoppage, they could sort of draw plays. Boston's very good at that. But alas, not too much of that in this contest. But the Hawks had a nice closing kick in the first quarter, a 16-4 to run to go uh, from basically from a neutral spot to being up by 12 at the end of the first quarter. The full bench unit was actually plus six in that little stretch. There was a huge block by a Kongwu on Jason Tatum, who had an up-and-down game, let's just say, for Boston. Lou hit a couple of threes. Gallo had some energy, as he's been having the last couple of weeks. And the Boston Celtics scored four points in about four and a half minutes at the end of the first quarter. And uh, they had another one of those coming up that we'll talk, that we'll talk about later on in the game. Um, four steals. So, so No, sorry. Four blocks and five steals in the first quarter. Um, setting the tone early with six turnovers created. Boston couldn't make shots. Also, the first time the Hawks have had at least five steals and at least four blocks in any quarter since January 2019. So that's three years without having a single quarter like that, and uh, that was definitely the headliner of that opening period. In the second, um, I would say a strong start. It wasn't always fantastic. In fact, the Hawks only won the quarter quarter by three points. But Gallinari, Lou, and McDonough found their way on the perimeter, and then Okongwu was walling off the paint defensively. Um, Lou and Gallo started off making their first five shots, and they scored 12 points on those five shots combined. Um, also, just as a uh, reminder, this is about, we're about 11 months away from this, but Gallinari kind of famously set the Hawks franchise record for three-pointers against Boston in State Farm Arena 11 months ago. So some, some deja vu at times. Obviously, it wasn't quite as hot in this game. A couple of those times where Gallo was just shooting over guys, with guys like right in his hip pocket because he's, he's just so big. And there was some uh, some shades of that performance 11 months ago. But Boston did have a nice little run, actually, in the second quarter, cutting the lead down to 5-1 point. DeLon Wright had a great block on Grant Williams, which is a good play by DeLon. But Boston finally made some shots, to be honest with you. A 7-0 run. And uh, the Hawks had some ball security issues, which they normally don't have. In fact, Atlanta is number one in the NBA in turnovers on, on offense, only 12 per game. But they had six at about a nine-minute stretch in the second quarter, and that kind of let the Celtics kind of hang around a little bit. It got to a five-point game late in the first half, but as they did in almost every quarter, at least three of the four quarters in this game, they had a nice closing kick. Again, the Hawks did a 10-0 run to close the first half to go by 15 points and a couple of threes by, by Young and Hunter, another block by Herter, who was flying around defensively. They, they forced a shot clock violation along the way, and they closed very well in the second quarter. So overall, Hawks up by 15 at the half. It was like they were great on offense, but they, they they were definitely better on offense in the first half than they were in the second half. That's for sure. A 119 or so offensive rating before halftime. That's uh, above average for sure for Atlanta. They shot it well in the first half. But only 12 assists and 7 turnovers. Not the greatest ratio in the world. And uh, the glass was not their friend for most of this game either. But defensively, they held Boston to 33% shooting and 2 of 16 from 3 in the first half. They did allow a lot of stuff on the peripheral side. 
Um, Boston had 70 free throw attempts in the first half, which is a ton, and also eight offensive rebounds. So they kind of lost those uh, those side things, but they forced nine turnovers and again had seven blocks and six deals at the halftime break to give them a pretty comfortable lead. Um, clearly the game was not over. I, I saw some probably some, I would say, premature celebration from Hawks fans. You know, they're playing great right now, but the uh, first half, they played well for sure. Um, and I will say they won the game in the first half, to be honest with you. The second half, aside from like a, about a five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter, was not their finest work on the whole, but... Obviously, you play 48-minute games for a reason, and the Hawks built that lead, and they were able to uh, milk that lead the rest of the night. All right, before we dive into the second half, and we have much more to discuss on what became Atlanta's sixth straight win. Again, six straight wins is very, very nice for a team that starts 17-25. But before we get into all of that, a work from our sponsor on today's show, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and the second half was, again, not quite as kind as the first, but still effective enough to put the game away for Atlanta. Boston made an early three after missing everything in the first half, but they kind of missed four in a row after that, so it was kind of more of the same from Boston. I will say this, John Collins was huge in the third quarter. Um, not a lot went right for the Hawks in the third quarter. They lost the quarter 30-18, to 18, but Collins was the lone bright spot. He had 10 of the first 12 points for Atlanta, um, using his matchup advantages um, very, very well, um, giving the Hawks, sorry, giving the Celtics a lot of problems in the post, and Collins was um, sort of that bridge guy in this game where McMillan talked about this after the game, and just as a sidebar, Maybe McMillan loves matchups uh, more than any coach I think I've ever been around or at least heard from. He is definitely a big fan of attacking mismatches, almost to their detriment. I'm not personally as big into it as he is. I think he probably overdoes it a little bit. But one thing is clear, that if Nate sees a mismatch, he wants the Hawks to exploit it. And one of those times was Collins in the third quarter. And honestly, they probably didn't even go to it enough. He had 10 points in a pretty quick span, but... They could have kept going to it, and it kind of stopped after a while, which I think I'm not sure if that was what he was referring to or not, but they kind of um, lamented the lack of mismatch um, taking advantage of that in the second half. But I thought, at least for that one stretch, John Collins was definitely beasting on Boston. Um, there was a run coming, though, from the Celtics after the Hawks went up by 16. They're largest lead of the night, by the way. Um, there was an 11-2 run by Boston. And I will say this, just as an uh, overarching thing, we'll come back to this later in the player section, but Trey Young was not good in this game offensively. Now, defensively, he actually was quite good by his standards, and I think he's been much better recently in the last couple weeks. But offensively, um, for a lot of this game, there were some nice stretches in the fourth quarter from him. But at one point, I think he was 5 of 16 from the floor with four turnovers and some really reckless passes from Trey. Just not his best work, and I want to at least put a pit in that as the Hawks' offense began to kind of scuffle a little bit in that third quarter. It was not only Trey by any means, but he was not his normal self offensively. Um, they had some foul trouble as well. Herder got his fourth foul in the third, had to sit a little bit earlier than usual. Um, again, aside from Collins, there was not a lot going on offensively in that third period. And Boston cut the lead to three. At one point, um, they played slower. The Hawks did, I thought, in the third quarter, which is not a good thing. Uh, the pace was definitely high in that first half. It's not all about pace, but they kind of played slower and more methodically on offense and defense. Um, I'm not sure if the energy level was down or what, but the third quarter was a little bit more plodding, which was not in favor of Atlanta in my mind. Um, they got a free point with a technical foul on Josh Richardson, which was nice. But from there, 
The Hawks only led by three at the end of the third quarter, which was definitely a big-time stall out on offense. Once, once Collins kind of settled down a little bit, the Hawks scored six points in the last five and a half minutes of the third quarter, and on the whole, they scored 18 points on 31% from the floor and 107 from three in the third. The ball movement was bad. They were stagnant on offense. Just not a lot going on offensively other than that Collins stretch. Um, in fact, it was 27-14 to 14 in favor of Boston for like the last, I don't know, nine minutes of the third quarter. And the offense kind of uh, you know, sputtered for the most part. Now, in the fourth, it was full bench unit again. I will say this, they were not as quite as good in the second half as they were in the first. Credit to the full bench unit in the first half for, for again playing well. And that bench group has been very good recently, kind of making me um, roll my eyes sometimes. But also the fact that they've been leaning on that unit. And you know, if Nate's going to do it anyway... In terms of playing that full unit together, which he is a big fan of, um, it's definitely night and day when you can play guys like Badanovich and Kongwu and DeLon Wright and Gallinari all together instead of guys you know a little bit further down the rotation that were uh, playing because of the injuries earlier on in the season. Anyway, um, the league got to one multiple times in the fourth quarter. In fact, Boston had three different shots in the air that were to get them the lead in the fourth. None of them went in. They also had a turnover when they had the ball down by one. So... There were chances for the Celtics at that one at that point in time. Now, if they got the lead, would they have won the game? I kind of think not, to be honest with you. But the Hawks were uh, benefiting a little bit from that. And then, uh, as often, when a team comes back and they can't quite get over the hump, there's that mental thing where you kind of have to use a lot of energy to get over the top, and they, they couldn't get there. Boston couldn't, and then the Hawks kind of turned it back on from there. So they never lost the lead at any point. Their last deficit in this game was 16-15, which is uh, worth noting. But it got to one. But as soon as that happened, um, in fact, also, just a Weird thing, Gallinari missed two free throws in a row, which he just never does. He's one of the best free throw shooters in the entire league. So that was kind of those, uh, it was one of those uh-oh moments where like nothing was going right for the Hawks, but Boston just couldn't get over the top. Regardless, though, there's a big shot by Bogdanovich that I want to put a pin in real quickly. Um, he actually went at um, Robert Williams when I wanted to switch, hit a three over him, and then when that shot went in, the Hawks were up, were up by six again with about eight minutes to go. Uh, timeout Boston, it felt like a huge shot in that moment. And also, Boston got, Boston got a lot of fouls, so the Hawks got in the, uh, in the penalty quickly and got to the free throw line a lot in the fourth quarter. Um, but essentially, Boston just stopped scoring as well. Like, the Hawks had better offense in this stretch, but the Celtics just couldn't score. In fact, Boston scored two points in more than seven minutes in the fourth quarter. The run for the Hawks was 18-2 to two as a result of that to go, up, go from up by one to up by 17. And in the middle of that stretch... The Celtics had to punt the game. So basically, by the time they finally scored again, it was their bench at the free throw line that finally scored at the very, very end when it was already over, 18-2. And again, two points in more than seven minutes from Boston, and that was the impetus for this win. Not really the offense, but more of the defense getting stops with a hat tip to Boston playing some bad offense as well. Um, Capella had a huge block in that stretch. Trey had a big three in that stretch. Collins played some center and had a nice tip in along the way. They used Bogey to close, which I had no problem with. I mean, Herter I thought was um, you know not as prolific on offense, but was great on defense in this game. I probably would have gone back to Herter honestly, but I had no no huge issue riding with Bogey in that spot. But regardless, the Hawks did close very very well, and that was enough to get the win. Um, from from there, we'll get some some sort of overall takeaways and numbers from this game. The offense was not fantastic. It was solid enough, and for a lot of teams, it would have been average or better. For the Hawks, I think it was probably slightly below average, particularly in the second half. They ended up scoring about 110 points per 100 possessions, which is good. That's like top 10, 12 in the league number, but also below what the Hawks normally do. Second half, it was well below that. So uh, up and down, not, not, not terrible by any means, but not great either. They shot decently from three. 39% is obviously better than they normally would. 46% from the floor, but only 19 assists. That's below their average. 
12 turnovers is right at their average, so that's not a problem at all, but the uh, second quarter was the one outlier there. Uh, bench points, they have 46 bench points, and uh, as a reminder, if you missed the show on Wednesday night, the Hawks' previous season high for bench points before Wednesday was 49. On Wednesday, they scored 70, so they absolutely shattered that season high off the bench. Tonight, they had 46. That was, again, they were one bucket shy of their season high from at least before Wednesday. So the bench has been a huge part of this, especially in the first half. I think the bench was not quite as good in the second half of this game. But uh, offensively, they did enough, and it was kind of coming from everywhere because the, the the glass was not favorable, and they just shot better than Boston did for a lot of the, for a lot of the game. Took care of the ball as well, much better than the Celtics did in this contest. Defensively, uh, obviously, great results. Uh, a 93 defensive rating in the competitive portion of this game, and 93 defensive rating is absolutely awesome. I said it before, but Boston is pretty bad on offense this year. Um, for a team that's 500, they really, you know, coming into the night, I think Boston was like number four in defense and something like, I don't know, number 21 or 22 in offense. So they're below average in offense for sure. Um, the Hawks did play well, though, defensively. Um, it, it wasn't quite like the Kings game on Wednesday where Sacramento was just terrible. Uh, Boston was not good either, but the Hawks did create a ton of havoc in a way that they don't usually do. Honestly, when the Hawks are good defensively in previous iterations, last year when they got hot, etc., turnover creation is not really what this Hawks team does. Even when they're playing well, they've always been you know bottom five, bottom seven in turnover creation. In this game, they were flying around. DeLon Wright getting deflections, Kevin Herter getting deflections, uh, Capella and Kongwu protecting the rim, all that stuff. It was a complete game defensively for the Hawks with some help from Boston. Um, 35% from the floor from the Celtics. It speaks for itself how bad it is. 19% from three for Boston in this game. They were 7 of 36. So, you know, if Boston makes an appropriate amount of threes in this game, it would have been a lot more interesting, a lot more competitive. I think the Hawks probably would have still won the game. But if Boston, you know, shoots even 30% from three, this game is a lot closer. So that's that's a little bit more of a favorable thing. A three-point defense, you can affect it for sure, but sometimes the shots fall or they don't, and Boston missed a bunch of shots. Now, I will say, the Hawks did contest very well. And Boston is a team that does not have a lot of shot creation. You know, Jason Tatum takes a lot of step backs. Uh, Jalen Brown can get open a little bit, but they don't have a lot of shooting either. So credit to the Hawks for making those guys' lives difficult in this contest. Defensive re- rebounding was not fantastic, but it was not like dire either. They allowed a ton of free throw attempts, 27 from, from Boston. That was just kind of the one black mark defensively was uh, a lot of fouls around the rim. But 18 turnovers and 15 assists for Boston. That's a great ratio for the Hawks. 11 blocks, their season high for Atlanta, and it was a block party up and down the roster. In fact, I'm um, looking at it now, four guys, no, sorry, five guys had blocks. Four guys had at least two blocks. So it was, it was not like just one guy, like Capella had 10 blocks. Um, it was a balanced effort. And also the first 10-block, 10-steal game for the Hawks since November 2019. So almost three years ago, uh, it's been a long time, and the Hawks played a very complete, very, very good defensive game, creating havoc, being fundamentally sound, and with uh, only a few exceptions, it really was a 48-minute game defensively. Offensively, there were some wax and wane points, but aside from like a five-minute period in the third quarter, they got a lot of stops in this game. That was what led them to the win in the spot. Okay, before we get to the players and all that stuff evaluating this game and looking ahead to next week, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Built Bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy. Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar, Every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. 
Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home or your pantry or in the office or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, mint brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. All right, and we'll dive in now to the player evaluation portion of the podcast. What we do, if you're a new listener, in this last segment, at least usually, not always, but usually, is talk about all of the players and what they did in this game that were actually part of the rotation. Now, the Hawks did end up playing everyone. Shreve Cooper was inactive because they had to choose somebody that was inactive. He was the choice again in this game. And Kevin Knox, Jalen Johnson, Gorgie Jang, TLC, and Scott Mays all played the last like two and a half, three minutes, but nothing else to really add on those guys. Um, of the guys who played, though, it was 10 guys that played. No surprise. It's been a, a pretty consistent 10. Said everybody's been healthy and no surprises there. Uh, DeLon Wright did not score, but had two assists, two rebounds, a steal, and a block. It was a very DeLon Wright game. He didn't have the uh, offensive moments in this game, but defensively he was all over the place. Um, I think Jared Dubin, in front of the podcast, mentioned how many deflections he had. DeLon was just all over defensively and the way that he can do. So if you see if you see that DeLon Wright didn't score, you might think, oh, not a great game for DeLon Wright. He wasn't great on offense by any means in this game, but defensively he made a lot of things happen in the way that he often does. Uh, Lou Williams had a nice, quiet second half, but was good in the first half. Eight points, three of six on the floor, two of three from three. I think he was 0 of three in the second half, maybe 0 of two. I think he started off with uh, his first three shots, went in in the first half, but made two threes, had three assists. Um, good juice from him as well. He's been playing much better. I talked about his numbers recently on Wednesday's podcast. Won't do that whole thing again. But basically, since he's come back in the rotation, Lou has been a different player. He had struggled and been one of the worst players in the league, honestly, at least from a numbers perspective in the first half of the season. But he's been uh, much better, and that was uh, still the case in this game. Um, elsewhere, a Kong went with 16 minutes because of, you know, basically using Capella and also using Collins at center, etc. But he was good. Had three fouls, but just probably too many that you would want, but had some real defensive flashes as he almost always does. Two points, three rebounds, had two blocks in 16 minutes and really made Tatum's life miserable a few different times around the rim. Um, you know, the highlight plays were there. Offensively didn't have a huge night by any means, only took two shots, but um, certainly you can't ask for uh, you know too much more from him. Obviously, he's going to have some bigger nights statistically as he did as he did the other actually led the team in scoring on Wednesday. But um, in this one, it was more of a solid uh, effort offensively, but some definitely uh, highlight highlight worthy plays defensively as well. I'll leave it there for now. Gallinari uh, made all five of his shots. That's going to you know Gallo. I don't think it was quite as good in the second half. Uh, had a little, probably ran out of gas a little bit, but had 14 points on five shots. That's usually good. Missed two free throws, which is very weird for him, but was plus 19 in 25 minutes. And, uh, you know, can't overstate it. Like, Gallo's been playing great basketball for about two, two and a half weeks. And uh, he's capable of this. I don't know how long it's going to go on. I doubt that he'll play this well all season long. But they got to ride this when they can get it. And he's been a big part of this win streak, to be sure. And then McDonavich played 28 minutes. Played, like, I think it was like 14 minutes in a row in the second half. Played a long, long time. 19 points, three rebounds, three assists, uh, two steals for bogey. Defensively, he's been a much better player since he came back from the from the latest knee injury, and I think he just looks better physically. He's hunting his own shot, which you love. I talked about this with Andrew, Andrew Kelly this week earlier. I would recommend that conversation on the podcast as part of that two-part episode. 
but I still like Bogey in the rotational role that he's currently in as a sixth man offensive engine on the second unit. Let's him kind of be more of the um, focal point in some ways offensively, more on the ball stuff for him playing alongside DeLon Wright especially. But I think he's looked very good in terms of his um, physicality since he came back. And the shot making is what it is. I never really worry about that with Bogdanovich, but a nice complete game for him. And he was a, a team best plus 20. Not, not totally a fluke there. He closed over Herter, and uh, that was okay with me in this game. To the starters, before we get to that, though, one quick note as we sort of bridge the gap. Um, Nate McMillan, after the game, got asked about the rotations. And he's often asked this question. He usually doesn't reveal too much. But in, so, in some cases, like, for instance, when Akongwu was having his breakout, he was very clear about Capella being the starting center. In this game, after the after that, I think it was Caleb Johnson, 19 on the game, that asked him this question. But Nate said pretty definitively they're not going to mess with anything. In fact, that's, that, that was the quote about the rotation. Quote, we're not going to mess with anything. And then later on, he said, we'll leave it as it is. It's working for us right now, end quote. And in the middle of that exchange, he kind of asked for clarity about whether it was about McDonough or not. And Bogey is kind of the only guy that's like up for debate in terms of the, of the rotation stuff right now. Um, so yeah, I think this that's the right decision. As I said with Andrew earlier this week, I would leave it as it is as well. Um, I personally wouldn't play quite as many like full second units, but I've said that a number of times. And again, even with my longstanding position about that, it does not bother me as much when you have this much talent on the second unit. So Leave Bogey there, leave, have him be the number one option on the second unit, have Gallo do what Gallo does, um, play Lou this much, uh, or less, honestly. I, I'm As long as Lou's not playing with Trey, I'm fine with it, to be honest with you. And then you use DeLon Wright as a, sprink, as a sprinkler. Um, I think DeLon and Bogey play well together. I think that Akongwu and Lou is a good pairing, and, and Nate's kind of gone to that, because Akongwu's been playing a little bit less, which I know people don't love, but they kind of use Collins at center a little bit, which is still a good, a good weapon. And also the chemistry and the partnership between Kongwu and Lou has been fruitful. So rotationally, I am good with this. I think this is what they probably should be doing right now in terms of like who plays and how much and who starts. So leave it as it is, and, and McMillan's going to do that, at least according to what he said on this evening. All right, to the starters. Uh, Herder played the least because he had foul trouble. 20 minutes, didn't close. They actually went with Bogdanovich, but still had five points, three steals, two blocks, two assists, and a rebound. You know, five points, 20 minutes for Kevin Herter might, might have thought that he didn't play well. He was good in this game. Defensively, he was really, really active in the first half, flying around. And I think it was Jackson Frank, friend of the podcast, mentioned this kind of in plain terms. Like, when Herter is your second best wing defender, as he is now alongside DeAndre Hunter, when DeAndre Hunter is out there, he unlocks a lot because he is uh, very good at that. He's not going to be an A-plus all-defense guy ever in his career. He's still limited physically in some respects. But I think Herter's been an underrated defender for a while, and uh, he was sort of playmaking in this game defensively in a way that he doesn't always. But he's, he's just such a solid connector on both ends of the floor. I thought he played well despite the modest stat line offensively. Um, Click Capella was solid in this game. Six points, seven rebounds, two blocks, 23 minutes. Had one um, blown finish around the rim and actually had two free throws that he missed. That was a weird play. Um, I, don't, I don't blame Trey for this, but Trey, I think, was trying to reward Capella for running the floor on a fast break. Trey probably could have had a layup and didn't take it. Dumps it off to Capella, who got fouled and missed both free throws. So not exactly a high-efficiency play, but also you got to understand that if you're Trey Young, part of your job as a point guard is to get guys to bust it on all, all the time and be a leader and all that stuff, setting up guys, and I think that was probably the right decision, even though it was kind of suboptimal results. But I thought Capella played well defensively, especially, and uh, was a nice Capella game overall. Um, from there, DeAndre Hunter, nine points, four rebounds, two assists, and a steal in 29 minutes. He was probably not great offensively. In fact, he was only one of seven on twos, so not his best work on offense. Kind of going along the way here, like most guys in this game, other than Gallo and maybe Bogey and Collins, 
Um, obviously, in the third quarter especially. Everybody else was just kind of, kind of okay on offense. Hunter was probably even below average on offense, but defensively he made a big difference, as he often does. Had a steal, was plus 10, uh, and just a, a solid night. Not, not anything great, but um, was okay. Collins, as I mentioned before, was awesome in the third quarter. For the game, 21 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 blocks to lead the team in 27 minutes. So he probably, put, probably could have played more. That's the, one of the things that uh, Nate did not quite as much as he did with Bogdanovich, but he rode Gallo a little bit extra in the fourth quarter, which was a little bit weird because Collins had just been the best player on the floor in the third quarter. And I say that even though the Hawks lost that quarter, Collins was awesome in that period. Um, but they kind of, you know, they, Nate's fond of riding the hot hand, especially with, a, especially with a veteran. He kind of rode with Gallo, which was okay. But they brought Collins back in to close a little bit at center. That worked out all right. And I thought he played very well in this game on both ends of the floor. Um, 8 of 13 from the floor. Did only um, actually shoot 0 of 2 from 3, but that means he was 8 of, 8 of 11 on twos and got to the line six times. So a quality night from Collins in the midst of all the trade rumors that continue with him. As something new happens, we'll definitely cover it. But for now, he's on the team, and I've said a lot about that both on this week's podcast and elsewhere. From there, um, we'll end with Trey Young. Uh, Trey, again, as I said before, a mixed bag for sure on offense. It was definitely a below-average offensive game for Trey to be kind. I think it was probably like like a D game for Trey Young. He was not good on offense in this game by his standards. Again, I'm trying to grade on a curve for all of these guys, and I do that every game. So if you're a new listener, I'm not saying Trey Young's bad. I'm not saying Trey Young was useless in this game. He still has a huge value to the Hawks, even when he's not playing well because he has to be guarded. He's getting blitzed. He's doing all that stuff, and he was better in the fourth quarter. I kind of said, you know, at one point, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was on Twitter or in Slack somewhere, that if Trey had struggled as much in the fourth as he did earlier, the Hawks were probably going to lose this game. And I kind of stand by that, but he was good in the fourth quarter, at least much better in the fourth quarter. At any rate, 21 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals for Trey, but had 5 turnovers and was 8 of 25 from the, from the floor, 2 of 9 from 3. So 6 of 16 on twos is not good. 2 of 9 on threes is not good. And some weird passes, like I've always said, like Trey is an elite passer. I stand by that. He had some weird, like careless, reckless passes in this game. He talked about it after the game, but he, he just couldn't make a shot, which is true. I mean, you're going to have nights like that. But um, it was just not his full command unit on offense. But I have to say, defensively, he has been part of the solution the last couple of weeks. Trey is still limited defensively. He always will be. But his effort level, his engagement level, his activity level – defensively has been sort of mirroring everybody else's in the last couple of weeks. You know, I disagree fundamentally with the notion that the Hawks are just playing harder and that's why they're playing better defensively. I think that has something to do with it. Don't get me wrong. But in the NBA, defense is about more than just effort. I will say that. You have to execute. You have to do um, mental things. You, it's, it's, it's about more than just playing hard. Like, that's kind of the bare minimum. Is what that I was, the way that I talk about it in the NBA is, like, energy and effort is the bare minimum. And it's going to wax and wane for sure. There are times when you're playing harder than other times, and I won't say otherwise, but um, there's this like kind of thing out there now that's in multiple sources that I've seen. It's like, well, the Hawks just started playing harder two weeks ago on defense, and that's why they're better. You know, they maybe played with more energy defensively. They probably are playing harder, but a lot of it is, A, they have their whole roster, and that includes Hunter, Capella, and Okongwu together for the first time all season long. They've been around. And also, you know, it's execution and it's just playing fundamentally sound all that stuff so it's a total package I kind of just fundamentally reject the notion that it's all effort but Trey in particular because of how much offensive load that he carries it's gonna sometimes be hard for him to bust it on defense and I always give him the benefit of the doubt there at least most of the time there are some nights this year that I've been like all right Trey you gotta try a little bit harder but um 
he's been doing his part. He's been pulling his weight and more, I think, defensively in this game. He had some nice flashes. The steals are nice, but even just kind of being in the way, being a pest, getting his hands in, um, digs, all that kind of stuff defensively, he was uh, he, did, he did his job defensively in this game, which was definitely worth noting. Okay, enough rambling on all of that. But um, since we ended with Trey, I did it on purpose because I wanted to at least mention that Trey Young is an all-star starter. He was voted that on Thursday. On Wednesday's show... I kind of said, like, I expected that to happen. It wasn't a lock, but I thought that was going to happen. I was kind of pre-arranging stuff in my notes about that. And uh, congratulations to Trey Young for starting the All-Star game the second time. He is the first time the Hawks have had a two-time starter in the All-Star game since Kevin Matumbo in the 90s. So that kind of tells you how long that's been. Obviously, the Hawks had guys like Joe Johnson and Al Horford and Paul Millsap that made a bunch of All-Star teams, but they weren't starting for those teams. Trey has now been voted as a starter twice. And uh, that's big. That's big time stuff. Number two in fan voting among guards. Number two in media voting among guards. Number three in player voting among guards. And uh, I've done the rant on Twitter. I won't do it here. Demar Derozan uh, shouldn't be eligible at guard. He's not played guard all season. Uh, if you look, at, if, if you look clean the glass, um, it's not a shot at Demar Derozan who's played very well this year and he's been a huge part of, of, of Chicago's success. But if you look at cleaning the glass, other places, he's not played. I mean, quite literally, a single minute at guard. So I don't know why he was eligible there. So Trey maybe should have been number one and all that stuff. Regardless, he's there, no harm done, and Levine was number two in player voting, which is less bothersome to me than anything else. But Trey will be in Cleveland. The All-Star game is uh, actually three weeks from Sunday. So uh, I don't, I'm not a huge All-Star guy. I won't probably have wall-to-wall coverage of that on the podcast. But uh, there you go. And I think he'll probably be the only t- the only Hawk that is participating on the Sunday event. I think Akongwu probably makes the Rising Stars Challenge, I'd imagine. Uh, maybe get somebody else in the uh, three-point contest. Maybe Trey will shoot three, in three-point contest, etc. We'll cover that in the coming days. But Trey will be starting uh, in the All-Star game as long as he is healthy. Knock on wood in three weeks. From here... The Hawks are at home once again on Sunday. It's actually an interesting game. Number one, the Lakers are in town. And when the Lakers are in town, it's always an event. They only come once a year. And uh, usually there are lots of Lakers fans in the building, to be honest with you, because Lakers fans are everywhere. Um, LeBron and AD, though, are highly questionable. Obviously, there's nothing official in the injury report two days in advance. But it's a 1 o'clock game, local time. That's a very weird tip-off time always. But a uh, very, very early game and a 10 o'clock game. Uh, body clock game for the Lakers. From there, LeBron has missed two games in a row, and AD missed Friday's game as well. So I'm not going to say those guys are definitely going to not play, but there's a distinct chance that one or both of those guys may not play on Sunday, which would take away some of the luster. But if you're looking for a win for the Hawks, that obviously helps them. Now, the Lakers did have a uh, a relatively uh, insane comeback. They ended up losing to Charlotte tonight, but they were in Charlotte on Friday, so a pretty short drive slash Quick flight, obviously, if you're an NBA player, you're flying. But um, they'll be back in Atlanta probably probably tonight, to be honest with you. So not a huge advantage in terms of, like, travel, but still an early game at home, body clocks. And, uh, you know, even if, even if the Lakers are full strength, to be honest, the Hawks are probably better than the Lakers right now. That might sound strange, but L.A. has not been anything impressive this year, um, in particular, particularly if they have any kind of um, holdup when it comes to injury stuff for LeBron and AD. So we'll cover that game in full on Sunday afternoon, but that'll be an early podcast for me on Sunday, I would imagine, because I'm going to be coming back from the game. And, uh, you know, 1 o'clock start, we'll have the podcast sometime early evening, I would imagine. And, of course, the NFL takes over from there with two uh, conference title games. So there'll be lots of that. But if you are a subscriber to the podcast, you will get the uh, podcast in your feed immediately. I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast via your platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you can leave five-star ratings. Also, we have Stitcher and Odyssey and Google Podcasts. Anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, 
we should be there. If we're not there, let me know that. I'll get it fixed for you. Um, also, please follow us on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BTRolling, and we'll see you after the game on Sunday.